Any health-related information on the following show provides general information only. Content presented on any show by any host or guest should not be substituted for a doctor's advice. Always consult your physician before beginning any new diet, exercise, or treatment program. Woodbury Reports with your host, Lon Woodbury, talking with leading professionals about how parents and others can help their struggling teens, preteens, and young adults. Now here's your host, Lon Woodbury. Well, welcome. This is Lon Woodbury to the inaugural edition of Woodbury Reports on uh, the uh, K4D uh, HD. And uh, I wanted to do a thanks before we get started to the uh, music, the introduction music that was done by Richard Simpson, who runs Pathways Abroad, a uh, program that uh, uh, for several years off and on he's ran it, taking kids to a different culture. And I really appreciated uh, him using the music and putting that together. Well, today... We're going to talk about what's up with young adults. Are they really as unprepared as the media uh, seems to t- make them out? And uh, what do they need, at least those that are floundering? And so the topic is how to motivate struggling young adults. And the guest, Ken Rapo. Well, good afternoon, Ken. Glad to have you here. Welcome. Good afternoon, Lon. I feel honored to be here on your very, very first um, episode on this show may it be a very very long running series for you well thank you very much now uh, Ken is a uh, he calls himself a life empowerment coach he's worked That's with right. parents with uh, troubled teens unmotivated young adults for 13 years and what he says is when traditional methods just don't seem to work real life coachings out of the box approach can sometimes work wonders he's also a blogger on the Huffington Post a featured writer for our kids media and he's the author of a book available at Amazon.com called The Slacker's Guide to Success. So let's talk about young adults, how to motivate young adults, and let's start with what's up with young adults. We hear about failure to launch. Uh, we hear about high unemployment. So what's up with young adults? Well, if you think about it, um, we've always complained about our teenagers, <laughs> as long as we had teenagers from the beginning of the 20th century. Um, at that point, they could look at people like Abraham Lincoln for role models. They could look at Joe DiMaggio. They could look at Babe Ruth. They could even look at Elvis. Now they get to look at Justin Bieber, Miley Cyrus, A-Rod. And, and so the people who um, are inspiring teens these days um, are more famous for being infamous than for inspiring people to do great. This is, I think, a first really powerful problem. That's right. The, uh, the the role models have really changed. I, I can see that in the last, well, in my lifetime, in the last generations. But what's going on? Because I also hear about young adults, and some of them are doing fantastic things. In some ways, it's the most prepared, most educated uh, generation ever. And and then I hear about unemployment and failure to launch. And so it's a, obviously a broad mix of several million people. And so what do you think is happening? Well... 
you know, if you think about where um, young people spend most of their times, they they spend most of their times in their rooms, in their bedrooms, or sometimes in the basement, where they have these computers that are portals to everything great in the world and everything really bad in the world. Their appearance means nothing anymore. Your words mean nothing because you can write something and then you can delete it and it's as if it never happened before. Your accomplishments mean nothing because the guy who can jump around to a Star Wars song in his pajamas is going to be more famous than you are for getting A's in your last term paper. That would have, so have to be a That would have to be a real downer. Yeah, That'd well, yeah, talk to the kid. Yeah, <laughs> talk to the kid who's famous for jumping around in his pajamas to Star Wars stuff. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The problem is that these kids feel that they have greatness in them, and I believe that this generation is a generation destined for greatness. The problem is they don't know how to put it together. The things that they have, the, the idea that at the same time they're multitasking, doing three, four, five, six, seven things at once, well, there is no multitasking. There is splitting. So you're splitting your mind uh, into doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and everything gets a, a surface level of attention. And so they're actually being trained to be hyperactive. They're actually being trained to have attention deficit disorder. They're being trained to only look at the surface level of things and that there's no advantage to reading a book. There's no advantage to going deeper. And they're all so afraid a failure that they have massive anxiety so some overcome that but uh, uh, large part of them what you're saying a large part of them have this that's sort of a drag or reduces their potential because they don't know they don't know how to as you say how to put it together <clears throat> and one term that's right. been used is the millennial so what's the uh, millennials and what's different about that go into a little bit more about how that's different from older generations so the millennials are people born after 1980. They're anywhere between 13 and 35 years old. And there's a few things that are unique to millennials. The first is that they are the first generation that has completely grown up um, with an Internet access. And, and, and remember that um, the Internet access, one of the things that's very powerful is that computers double in strength every year and a half. What that also means is that... Um, Industries disappear. The way you consume your music disappears. Everything disappears every one, two, or three years, and something new comes along. Where did you get your music when you were when you were young, Lon? You went to a record store, right? And you probably knew that record store. And that was pretty much how you got your music your whole life. And maybe that record store closed, and you went to another record store. It was maybe Sam's or HMV or whatever. And it was there all your life. The way young people consume what is so important to them, which is music and culture, changes every two or three years. So the message in their mind is nothing counts, nothing is permanent. Millennials are people who are stuck behind the boomers. The boomers, because of what happened, um, I guess what, in 2008, with uh, a massive uh, damage to a lot of these people's RRSPs and their savings, are sticking around. And there's this, the whole millennial generation is stuck living in their boomers' basements and um, not having the chance to move forward, mixed with the challenges of having this whole new way that they learn, which is um, instead of linear, um, these people are people who think outside the box. 
So if I want to teach a millennial to brush their teeth, and if I say, look, if you don't brush your teeth, you're going to get cavities, you're going to get pain, you're going to have to have a tooth taken out, you'll have gum disease later on, I might as well be talking to my dog about sports statistics. But if I use a lateral form of thinking with a millennial and say, um, you really want to be in control of your day-to-day experience, and what's one of the things you need to do? Well, they say I should brush my teeth. Okay, let's put that into your daily routine. And what happens is brushing your teeth isn't about uh, fixing these things. It's about learning to take control of your life on a day-to-day basis, and they start to do it. And then six months down the road, they get the – go ahead. Yeah, and they take care, and they're getting control of their future too at the same time. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And so once they do that and they get a positive result back, then they can switch from um, the outside of the box thinking to a linear system that they really haven't been trained to have. Okay. You know, one of the things you said uh, struck a thought in me: the impermanence. Uh, they might receive yeah. it. Uh, they might receive music or information this way this year, like on Facebook. Two years from now, it might be something entirely different. Uh, it was my yeah. place uh, uh, four or five years ago. But so it I sounds like they would have the idea, well, nothing is permanent. That's right. And that's so right. that's a so that's – Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's what's the point. Uh, and, well, and, and a real communication thing there because the way I was raised, things are pretty much permanent. You stayed in the same home. You stayed in the same job. Your parents stayed in the same job for years and years and years. And if you got a flashlight, I still have these old habits of when I get a flashlight, uh, you know, you hang on to it. You take care of it. You get batteries for it. But now the new ones are all uh, – LED and uh, rechargeable, uh, rechargeable by the sun, all kinds of things. And it's a, well, it's been criticized as a throwaway generation or a throwaway uh, society and material things. And uh, so I think that uh, I think what you're saying is that's that throwaway from my generation perspective is something that's permanently ingrained into them, nothing less. So uh, nothing would it's need to be taken care of. Very true. And so what do they do? When they come up to something in their lives, whether it's a test, whether it's a series of university programs, whether it's a course they're taking and they don't work at it and they don't succeed, they do the same thing that they're doing with that flashlight. They throw it away and they go, well, that's not for me. And that's how they spend most of their times. They don't persevere. They don't find a way to fix the thing. They throw it away, partly Mm -hmm. because they want perfection. And if they can't have perfection then they're just going to throw it away. So perfection is another thing. So in that sense, I would imagine they'd be very idealistic. They really are. This is the most idealistic generation that I have met in my life. Um, you know, we think of the, uh, the, the, the boomers as being idealistic, uh, but I, I feel that there's a much more powerful sense of wanting to do great things in this group of people. Every client that I work with, and you know, I have people as young as 12 and 13, I have people with Asperger's, I have people with uh, um, ADHD, I have people with schizophrenia, I have people that are just really talented and mess up at everything, are addicted to pot. Every single one of them cares so much. But um, I call it the, the, the false fire alarm system. There was an article recently where they said that most people, when they hear a fire alarm, for two reasons, 
don't respond to it. And the first is that most of the times it's not real, it's not true, so why bother? And the second is that people, um, more now than ever, when they start something, don't like to leave it. And they call that FOMO, fear of missing out. So it's not even that they want to finish it, they're just afraid they're going to miss something. Well, that's our millennial generation. They have, first of all, every parent keeps telling them, try this, this will be great for you, and it messes up. And so they have that first part, the false fire alarm, where, and this is like this wonderful, talented young lady, 21 years old, I was working with her yesterday, and this will be the first time that she doesn't drop every course, and she's brilliant, and her mind is so good, and the way she sees things is so deep, but she can never have enough information, so she never hands anything in. See, it's never and perfect. So it's, yeah, there, there's always something more, if you're missing out, and, and perfectionism. So I said to her, let's just try the five things that you just did. <laughs> and she says, I can try this, but I know that it's not going to work because I failed every time up until now. And I have to tell her, uh, let's make up a name for her, Bonnie, the name of my poodle. Bonnie. Okay, Bonnie that sounds good. Um, I say, Bonnie, did you last week get your... Um, uh, um, what was it called? Um, your outline in, and were you successful? And it was massive work for us to do it because she had to let go of things. Yes. Was it hard for you to let go of adding more and more things? It was. How did it feel when you got it in and they gave you an 85 for it? Well, my first thought was, why didn't I get the other 15 marks? I get that, Bonnie. <laughs> but how did it feel? This is like the real, true conversation we had. How did it mm -hmm. feel that you got it done? She said, you know what? I felt like I accomplished it. And I, I, I wrote it down on her notes, but it was something like getting something finished was the magic term that she could use to rise above her perfectionism and to rise above her uh, fear of failure was, okay, it's a little thing. I call these micro successes. And if I get something finished, I can look at that. And it's not what my parents have told me. It's not what the school has told me. It's something I saw for myself and it changes their lives immeasurably. Okay. So, so when you're working with the floundering kid, brilliant or otherwise, there's some things that you look at behind that. I'll, uh, you know, like in this, like the perfection and, uh, or, or that things are impermanent. So why, why put any attention into it? It'll just be thrown away anyway or something like that. Right, right. Here's another thing I've heard about the millennials. It's a self-centered generation or narcissistic. Uh, is that accurate or is it uh, a misunderstanding or a combination? That's a really good question. Um, I, I think that, uh, the the nature of sitting in your room and having all this electronics and all these virtual friends and real friends through the virtual world coming to you that you can turn on, turn off, um, again, uh, predisposes you to be self-centered. Um, I think that the fact that at least the ones that I work with, the ones I work with, of course, are the people who are not doing well, who have yeah, tried everything, they've tried everything. Self -select, yeah, self-selecting towards the negative. Right. So I have to, yeah. So well, instead of say towards the negative, say towards the challenge. <laughs> okay, okay. That's a better term. That's more politically correct. Thank you. 
<laughs> and so I think that it makes sense that they're coming from themselves. But what I'm always find amazing about millennials, and certainly the ones that I work with, is that as they get better at these things, the first thing they want to do is they want to help someone that they see who's a friend, who has a similar challenge that they think they can understand the system, and they want to bring this little piece of it to them. So I think that the self-centeredness is because we, as the older generation, have put them in a position where we give them all these things, tell them how great they are, and then say, now you can't get to do anything. <laughs> okay, so, that's, a, that's a crazy maker right there. Yeah, and so they, they, they are all about themselves, but there's still that propensity that I find all the time in these people that the second they get better at something, they want to help others. I see this over and over and over. Okay, so it's a very generous impulse generation. Yes, I believe that. But they're stuck on first all about me because that's how the older generation has dealt with them. The helicopter parenting, you know, the, the, uh, this wide range. Now, this, this is not all millennials, but it's a lot of millennials. Okay, well, they're dealing with something that uh, we've had no experience in dealing with. Like, imagine me, a grandfather, trying to tell a 15-year-old how to work with a computer. That's funny. That's, that, that's laughable, yeah. <laughs> that would be funny. You know, yeah. and so um, I always learn from my clients, mm -hmm. as you probably do from your grandchild. Mm -hmm. um, and what we have, and, you know, what I do as a mentor is I'm giving them the life experiences, and they're teaching me about how they perceive the world, which is different. Every generation sees it differently. This one more so than any since the two great wars. Okay. Well, let me uh, talk a little bit about what you do. You're a life empowerment coach. What is yeah. that and how is it different from a therapist or a psychotherapist or that type of sort of uh, in, the, uh, in the popular culture is known as the shrink type activities? Right. So um, generally, when you look at the allopathic world, when you look at the word of, of traditional uh, doctors, and we need them, and God bless them, they do, a lot of them are really fantastic, and they do a great job. And there's things I cannot do. I cannot work with a schizophrenic until um, he is at a point where he is on a regular uh, re regime of, of standard allopathic medicine. Um, Having said that, the whole system of psychiatrists and psychologists in general and, and the way we give medication is focusing on what is wrong with an individual. It is focusing on what is broken and what needs to be fixed. You're talking and about the, the mainstream mental health. That's right. Mm -hmm. And in fact, all health. Most of our health system is built on, what, how do they say it, poison, burn, or cut. You know, when you come to uh -huh. someone, they're going, right? And so there's a, a growing um, movement of people in all aspects, not only uh, mental health, but mental well-being and physical health, looking at preventative medicine. And really what that's about, and that's what my focus is, is we amplify what we focus on. If you think about what's wrong with you, you're going to have more of it. You are subconsciously training yourself to look for the things that prove your thesis. Life is poop. Uh, 
then you will look at for poop to prove that life is poop. If you focus on what I call your micro successes in the, or your great abilities, your potentials, um, then you start to look subconsciously to prove those things and they build upon themselves. So essentially what I do is I try to find what is really special about any individual and every individual has something that they're special at. It could be the smallest thing. And I use that to build a daily routine and to build on those things. And as they grow and as they start to feel these micro successes, these small little things they do well on a day-to-day basis or an occasional day-to-day basis, we use those to then tackle the things that they're going to fail at once, twice, five times, a hundred times. And how do we learn from those success, from those failures, go back to our successes and understand the method of, of using what works to learn how to fix things or change things or modify things that don't work. So it's no longer about failure. It's about growth. It's about adventure. And it's about learning without judging. Okay, That's part of I mean. that okay, part of that is uh, could be explained as working to their strengths, working with them in their strengths, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, this is another thing. It's a totally different worldview. We could even say it's a it's a different philosophy. I've heard about it. You know, positive psychology has been making some gains here and there, and uh, uh, some of the uh, early schools that I started with in the uh, you know therapeutic boarding school area were called emotional growth schools. Right. And uh, that's so what you're explaining sounds very familiar from my uh, time there in the 80s. And uh, mm. so keep talking about that. That's a, that's a whole new way of looking at it. And I suspect a lot of people haven't really looked at it that way. They've been so concerned about their kid in the basement that's not getting on with their life. I'm thinking about young adults, you know, the failure to launch. And this is a whole different way. How, how could be a... You know, take a parent, they have a kid in the basement, they've got a college degree maybe, and they're not motivated, they're not doing anything, and the parents are turning their hair out, and they're looking at all the failures. Of course, it's right there staring in the face. What would be another way they might look at that? So you have to, first of all, find – so so I, I get letters or emails on a regular basis through, through my website, reallifecoaching.ca, um, and – that's real life coaching. Not that I'm going to mm-hmm. plug it or anything. And no, nah. um, <laughs> and and they'll they'll say stuff like, actually, I'm just kind of I'm I just got one yesterday, and I, I'm just sending her back a response, and I'm not going to give anything away that that is personal, um, but I just wanted to call it up, and it's so powerful, and it's 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 just happened, so it's a, a great example. I hadn't really thought to do this, so. Um, I, here we go. Um, my son is 22 and has just dropped out of his third college program. He is removed. He's easily riled and sleeps a lot. He lives with his father. Uh, we won't go into the, in more of that. Uh, our son assures us he's not been smoking marijuana since an episode where he, he cannab- I can't know if I can pronounce it, cannabinoid hypermesis, which means barfing your brains out for a very, very long time because you've smoked so much pot a little over a year ago. He does binge drink. He's a smart and charming young man, very important, and is liked by his peers, teachers, family. A typical core part will say does not work to his potential, yet he's achieved very high levels in a certain martial art, and he plays a certain kind of music at an elite level. He has learning difficulties, but when engaged, he soars. 
Unfortunately, he's rarely engaged. He does not play video games or read. He's most apt to sleep in order to avoid work, school, and parents. I wonder if he could be suffering from X, Y, and Z. I'm presently reading your book. Uh, please tell me what we should do. And so I look at this kid, and what's? can I put you on the spot? What's the first thing you think of? What's the first thing I think of? Uh, frustration. Pardon? Frustration. I'm thinking of the parents, the frustration. Don't know what to do. Oh, I see. Okay. But when you look at this child, what's the first thing you see? Afraid. And you Afraid know to engage. Yes, holy, holy crumb. Here's a guy who's fantastic at music and fantastic at, at martial arts. Uh, okay. And that's my in. That's the first thing. I, of everything I heard, that's all I focus on. And I think to myself... I can talk to this guy. You know, I played, I don't know if you know this, Lon, I played for many years as a jazz drummer in Montreal, Quebec, with one of Canada's top jazz guitarists. Mm -hmm. And I studied with a great master on drums. And so um, I love all kinds of music, but I understand music and I understand it's a different world. And martial arts, again, is a different world. And how do these two worlds work? They work, um, uh, uh, um, you know, there's um, three ways we learn. It's visual, auditory, and kinesthetic by feel. And like, for example, I'm auditory, kinesthetic, visual, AKV. 70% of the world, it could be 60% of the world, a lot of the world is visual first. So this guy, you can see already from the things that he soars at, are not visual like me. And for that reason, right away, he's at a disadvantage of 60 to 70%. So just by what he has said and just by how I perceive it, I can tell you right away, this is a guy I'm going to start working with things by how, what he has to hear to be positive, how to use sound to be positive, how to use physical things to reinforce that, and only then to go to the thing he doesn't do, which is reading, visual. That's his weak point. Now, do I know this guy? No, I don't know this guy. I could be completely wrong. But right away... I bet you had a whole, like you even started, you had a whole other way you were focusing on him mm -hmm. than how I focus. And that focus, when I see this kid who's seen every therapist and every psychiatrist known to man more than likely, is shocked because I just don't worry about those things. It doesn't mean, I, I, you know, if, if God forbid, if I see someone going to self-harm, we act upon that immediately. Everything stops of this life empowerment work. We have to take care of a child. We have to keep them safe. But having said that, when they come here, we're not worrying about the drama. We're not worrying about those things. We're looking at that here's a guy who's musical, who's physical, and in those things, he excels. He wants to do great. He doesn't know how to do it in the visual world. So I'm going to take his music. I'm going to take his martial arts, and I'm going to get him to do something, maybe write a story. You know, I just had a 13-year-old client who's autistic, and everyone's been telling him, get over it, get over it. He's been upset about something. I had him write an article. I write a lot, as you know, for the Huffington Post. Mm -hmm. And we put up that article in the Huffington Post, and it's got more reads, more shares, more likes than anything I've ever written. <laughs> and it changed his life. Mm -hmm. It changed his life because he had his voice out, and he's not supposed to be able to communicate. And it's one of the best written things I've ever seen. Okay, let I me ask use, you. I use, yeah, I, uh, yeah. You, you looked at. Uh, uh, it makes a lot of sense what you're talking about. To look at this style of learning, style of uh, thinking, and that, uh, uh, and you worked on that and forgot the rest of the stuff. And so it's a much more positive way. And uh, again, you could say, uh, 
working to the strings, but it's much more than that. Let me ask uh, another hypothetical question. C- computer gamer, kids, uh, computer gamer, and I'm thinking again of young adults, but uh, parents' bar- basement spends all the time playing computer games. They're very good at World of Warcraft and some of the others. <laughs> how how would you make that a positive, uh, assuming it's not ri- not up to the uh, obsessive computer addiction? So... First of all, I, I'm I'm a pinball guy. I'm I'm that old. Um, I love pinball. And when I played in the jazz clubs, that's what they had in the back. And I didn't smoke and I didn't drink, so I played pinball. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a great video gamer, but I make sure that every one of my clients who are in love with WoW, World of Warcraft, or um, whatever it is that they do, um, it's not a video game per se, but you know, like uh, most recent uh, video games, that they show them to me and that they show me what's beautiful about them and amazing and challenging. And there is, I mean, there's, you know, uh, uh, video games now, if I'm not mistaken, sell more than all the movies sell worldwide. Like the, the gross uh, um, amount of money they make is staggering. And the numbers and, um, of people involved, like the World of Warcraft, the numbers in World of Warcraft is just incredible. It's really quite something. And then there's Dungeons and Dragons people. And mm-hmm. my feeling is that, um, you know, so I go walking my dog every night, and at 9.15, half a dozen people who have dogs that aren't going to run around, like run onto the street, it's not a fenced-in area, well-behaved dogs get together and they talk. These are people who would never talk in general. And one of these guys, at two or three times in this freezing cold weather, I don't know what it's been like with you, but we've had like 30 below zero, this guy goes two or three times a week to go fishing. And that's his World of Warcraft. You know, it's an mm-hmm. absolute passion and it's a great thing, but he still does his day-to-day life and it, it completes him and it makes him uh, better. So are there people who fish so much that it's an addiction? You can do anything to be an addiction. I, I never thought that of that, me. but you're right. Yeah. So I think that, uh, you know, we, we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. I don't mind if someone plays video games. I don't even mind if they do a lot of video gaming as long as they start to, first of all, when they start their day, when they come back from school or whatever, that they first do the work they have to do. And then what I'm going to have them do is if they're doing eight hours or five hours, some crazy part that their parents would freak at, but if they're getting the work done at this point, I've already succeeded. I want them to break that up. And how do you break it up? Here's a tip for parents. If it's something they're doing with other people, so if it's a multiple, what's it, an RPG game, a role-playing game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, a multiplayer game. Um, it's not fair to ask them to stop in the middle. You're actually going into, if you wish, their social scene, and you're breaking it up. And that's that's going to be a place for conflict. But all of these kids also, besides doing the social stuff, the multiplayer games, they're also playing games that are just for themselves. And so those kind of games, they can stop at any time. And what I try to get them to do is halfway through or at some section through playing these other games, I want them to stop and go and do something else it could be something incredibly cool. It could be playing an instrument. It could be playing music. It could be walking the dog. It's something that teaches them the control. of the, the, the danger of video games, the danger of these things is that they go into these computer worlds and they get lost and they don't have a concept of time and they can't come back when they want to. And, and so I get them to break that up 
where it's fair. It's not fair to ask them to do that when they're playing with other people. They're not going to do it, and it's guaranteed to fail. It is mm -hmm. fair to do it when it's a one-in-one -one game. Okay, so what you do is interrupt the obsessive, the or the continuous part, part of it. Yes, yes. Interrupt it and bring some of real life back into it, so that they're achieving some kind of a balance. Well, I don't know. <laughs> At this point, it's not even balance. It's a it's a glimmer of control. Once uh -huh. I've got them putting one finger in there and poking at it, then I've made a hole, and, and they can make it bigger, and they can learn the control, and they do. They absolutely learn how to control it. They get it. But we ask too much of these kids sometimes, and then we're guaranteeing that they're going to fail. Uh -huh. Because of conflict or, or whatever. Uh, oh, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, just do it. Just get over it. Uh, why don't you? None of those things work. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go on to a, a, another perspective here. And again, focusing on young adults. How lonely is the life of a parent of a struggling young adult? Ones that's not making any of the markers, living in the basement or what have you. So how, how lonely is it? It's so true. Uh, it, it, you know, a, a line that I've used in... in some of my writings is that uh, a parent said to me, which is parenting is the loneliest uh, job you could ever have. You know, when your kids are doing that's great, that, you can go that's around. Any, that's any, any parenting. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. When your kids are doing great, uh, then it's so much fun to go around and share their model plane. Not that anyone makes model planes. I guess they may do something else. But yeah, You're dating, you're dating they, yourself. I am, I am. And I'm a cheap date. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, the um, I went for the corny joke and I lost my train of thought. The the problems are that when things don't work, parents don't have support. If things are not working, what I hear from most parents is, "Look at all those kids. All those other kids are doing great, and mine's the only one who's not doing X, Y, or Z." I'm so mm -hmm. bad, I'm a terrible parent. They're either saying it out loud or they're implying it, and it's heartbreaking. And so one of the advantages uh, of, that my parents have, the, the, when I say my parents, I mean the parents of my clients, is that we do work together. So once every six sessions, um, we have an email contact back and forth. They can talk about things that they just can't talk about with their kids. All it does is become a fight, and then we work the client and I on those things and we also work on what's called active listening a lot of my clients work with me on Skype and so we'll do a three-way Skype and we'll do active listening exercises to change how um, uh, the client the young person and the parent can learn how to listen to each other and respect each other and validate each other from where they're coming from you don't have to believe what the person's saying but you can understand where they're coming from and kids you know, totally can do that. Yeah, uh, and and thinking back, uh, uh, you know, focusing on the parents, I had a couple of thoughts mm -hmm. while you were talking about how how lonely it is because yeah, you get yeah. on Facebook and uh, everybody else has wonderful kids or uh, <laughs> you know everything seems wonderful. The whole thing, Facebook can be very depressing. There's several researches that indicated <laughs> it, it can be uh, in general, but particularly if you're a parent of a struggling young adult or a struggling teen. Uh, I remember uh, when. Uh, 
when I uh, earlier in my uh, website I had a, a discussion board, and uh, the discussion board was uh, open to everybody. I ha- finally had to shut it down because some trolls got on there and demonized other people and really oh. tore it up. But uh, for a couple of years. I would get on there, and there would parents be on there at 2 in the morning, their local time, worrying about something, and somebody else would answer them. It would provide a good support for the parents. And I know a lot of the programs that I work with, the residential programs, have parent programs that are designing this. But, yeah, I think that would be a first takeaway for me would be a key thing. If you have a kid that's really screwing up and you're the only one, find some support. They're out there. could be the people you have coffee with because nobody's talking about it. And... And what I'm trying to put together, I'm going to be putting together, is something called the Parents Mentoring Collective. And what it'll be is it'll be a webinar once a week, uh, one time in the evening on a Wednesday or Thursday night, and one time during the day, also on a Wednesday or Thursday. And then it'll repeat um, that you can see it at any time because parents have crazy hours these days, Mm -hmm. as we all do. Um, And you'll have a place where you can go and you can learn some of the stuff that I'm doing, which is called the Parents Mentoring Collective, to learn the skills that I do, mentoring versus teaching versus parenting. It's a very different thing. Um, And you'll have a support group. And you can also ask questions. It will be mediated, so hopefully we'll get rid of the troll aspect of it, of, you know, the troublemakers, uh, and keep it on a positive note. Um, And this is... My goal, I know it sounds a long way away, but for the fall of this year, is to have this up and running. Even if we have a small group, we're going to start it, and it'll be a place that people can go either live or they can go and check out the information at their leisure and leave questions for the next time it's up and running. Is this going to be open to any parent that's interested or ones that have uh, you're, that you're working with, or what's the uh, parameters on that? This is for anybody so although I expect it's going to be 90% parents, I do have some young people who just also want to be involved with this. They heard about it and they said, I want to be in the Parents Mentoring Collective <laughs> because I want to talk about, which I thought was very cool, yeah. I want to talk about the challenges from my perspective. Uh, not, not um, So in other words, the, the story is, how do we help this generation of millennials? That is the theme, and there's even young people who would like to be part of that discussion. And it'll be open to absolutely everybody. Um, and if they go to my website and just send me uh, an email saying, interested in the Parents Mentoring Collective, they'll be on a list, and when it comes out, they'll have a first opportunity to, to uh, get onto it. Hey, that sounds like something I might like to get involved with, too. Since oh, it's, I'd uh, love to have it, it over, overlaps a lot of what I've been doing with my website and, and this uh, radio show and the other things. Well, let's uh, move on. Uh, you had mentioned three tips that you, uh, uh, that you try to give parents or three key tips for motivating the struggling young adults. So would you share what those three are and explain each one of them a little bit? Or if it's four or two or whatever, that's okay. <laughs> three is good. I like threes. It's a powerful number. Yes. I'd say the first, the first tip for motiv- motivating struggling young adults is do one thing that you don't have the time for. So every parent I know of is complaining that the kids are not spending the time doing what they're doing. And I say, what are you doing that's inspirational, like the guy who fishes? What are you doing that isn't what you have to do? And most of them say, I just don't have the time. And I said, what if you found out, God forbid, that your your son or daughter 
um, had sprained his ankle and had to go to therapy, and there's no way to get there except for you to drive him, and it was an hour a week. Well, I'd make the time. I said, make the time for something that is your own passion that you let fall. The best way to teach is by example. And if you don't have the time to make your life more than just the day-to-day survival, how can your child do it? So that would now be you're talking about are, are you talking about parents taking care of themselves or something for the parent to yes. do with the child, or both? No, nope. or either. Just for themselves. No, just for themselves. Specifically, just for themselves. The okay. first thing you can do to inspire your child, whether it's you've always painted. I had a lady and she had collected every kind of paint known to man and every kind of brush, and they all just sat there. And when she started painting. Um, her daughter started joining in, and it was the first mm-hmm. time she had, they had really done something like that. That wasn't the goal of this. The goal was for her just to be seen doing something that was just to make life better. It's so, so powerful. Well, would fishing uh, count is, for that? Would fishing count for that? Well, if, 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 if you invite the kids sometimes and you go fishing, I think so. I think that fishing um, is a passion. This guy who does it, <laughs> mm-hmm. like that's all he talks about. God bless him. And, it, you know, I'm not a, I, I like eating them, but I don't like, you know, hooking them or doing the whole fishing or the worm stuff. I don't know how it works even anymore. I think that's Tom Sawyer I'm talking about. No, but, you still um, use worms. Uh, yeah, I, I fish when I go out. What, yeah, but okay. when I when I go out, when I want to catch fish, I take a worm. If I want to just have fun fishing and don't care so much about catching, I'll use a fly. Interesting. And the artificial what about fly. a flying worm? Yeah, yeah. Well, you can't uh, do that. Whole I don't know how. Yeah, the, the, I, I don't know. <laughs> the fish might not recognize what they are. <laughs> then there's biotechnology involved. It's a whole thing. So uh, the first step is do something for yourself, even if it's fishing. The second one is... Uh, listening exercises. So to have a time, the worst time to ask your child about their day or talk about themselves is at the dinner table. More than likely, the dinner table has become a place of inquisition. So um, you can get it back to being a good place, but it's not really, if it's not, it isn't. So don't try to make it the place. Find a place that's neutral territory, not their room, not your room, somewhere in the house or in a park or whatever that you get together, maybe go for a walk and, and ask your child some questions. Every day on my Facebook page, which is, oddly enough, Real Life Coaching, um, there's a one-minute meditation. And there's, fancy that. Go ahead. Sorry? Yeah, fa- yeah fa- fancy, fancy that. Uh, okay. So, go ahead. Uh, there's a one-minute meditation and the... It, it's a it's an opportunity for people who know my stuff to then talk about that with your child on that day. And they're, they're fun stuff, they're simple stuff, and it could be anything, you know. The idea is to use something and then talk about something in the news, something about um, the Malaysian flight, something about whatever. Not to get into politics, but to get into life and looking at life in a different way and have a, com- a conversation that has nothing to do with how they're doing, nothing to do about how you're doing, nothing about day-to-day, but just listening and talking. And that's okay. one of the most powerful things I think a parent can do with a child. And the third, I have to say, is to find a mentor. So for the people who, who work with me, 
they found someone like that. And a mentor um, is what we've always had throughout time until this last 100 years. Parents were never meant to be all things to children. You are not supposed to do everything for your children. You are supposed to have other people in the community um, who are there. It really does take a village. And what that means is you're not supposed to do everything. And whether it's a paid mentor like myself or you mentoring someone else's friends, uh, you know, kids, and, and they're mentoring your kids, parent, kid, parents need to step away sometimes and let their children learn from other people. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole story, the mentor was the person who Odysseus had um, uh, take care of and teach and mentor his son, Telemachus. And then the first four uh, books, I think, of the Odyssey, or the first four, I think they're books, um, are all about Telemachus searching for his father. And so the idea of a mentor is to help the child learn to find where he is in this world to find that father figure to find that mother figure to find their greatness and we've taken that away from these millennials they don't have that odyssey they don't have that search so you're talking about a mentor for your child yes i could i could see a a parent needing a mentor too that's where i was thinking when you said that but uh, I'm well, mentor for your child. Um, Find somebody that uh, really it's an uncle or a neighbor or whatever. Or a professional like myself. You know, I mean, yep. that's mm-hmm. what I do. A life empowerment coach is a mentor. Okay. So, Those would be the three things I would suggest. Okay. Well, I think it'd be good to, good to repeat them. Uh, do for yourself. Listen yes. and create good listening yes. situations. Stuff, but really listen to your child and then find a mentor. For your child, encourage it. Uh, I know, well, it sort of naturally happened. I remember when I was a kid, there was an Uncle Ed who lived across the valley. And uh, uh, I'd go to him to talk, and he'd show me how to do things. And, you know, That's wonderful. iron filings and how they looked with a magnet under him and all those kind of Tom oh, wow. Sawyer type stuff. Well, I was raised in North Idaho in a very in a very rural, rural era. Uh, so I got a lot of that. We still have some of that in North Idaho. But uh, but it's it's rather fading. But I think that's really important. Uh, now I promised you a few minutes to. Uh, we just about have four minutes left, and I promised you a couple three minutes to let people know what it is you do, how they can get a hold of you, what you might be able to do for them. Certainly. So well, thank you, Lon. So well, this is your this is your commercial break. <laughs> well, I just want to first say in my commercial break how amazing Lon Woodbury is and how great it is that you have found this radio program because you are going to just love everything Lon does. This is the third time I've been uh, working with Lon on a radio uh, broadcast. Uh, I know Lon's work. Uh, He is outstanding. And I know I'm taking my time to talk about Lon, but um, uh, please listen to this broadcast. Listen to this gentleman. There's, you know, it's just great. My name is Ken Rabo. Yeah, You're well, welcome. thank you. I might, uh, uh, I, I might uh, copy that and maybe use it and add someplace. I appreciate that. Totally Ken. do. <laughs> you may. Okay. Okay. Um, we'll continue. My name is, my name is Ken Rabo, and I'm a life empowerment coach. I work with kids uh, anywhere from 13 to 28. Uh, I have people who are.
are just really talented who seem to be failing at all aspects in their lives. I have people with schizophrenia, with bipolar issues, with Asperger's syndrome, uh, ADHD issues. Um, and I work with them through Skype throughout North America. And I actually prefer using Skype, although if they're in Toronto, we do some work in the studio because their whole world is in their computer. And so if I'm on Skype, I'm in their world, and they're learning how to do good things in that computer world as well as the other stuff that they're already doing. So if you're looking for a life empowerment coach, if you're looking for someone to find an entirely different way to inspire your child, I work one-on-one -on -one with clients. It's one full hour twice a week. So it's either Monday, Thursday, or Tuesday, Friday. And the reason for that is um, once a week, it was great in the 50s. But things move so fast today that if you work on something with a child, when you're trying to rebuild their greatness and help them find their power and their personal power, um, you need to have two parts in the week to keep them bolstered, to keep them really focused and to fix the things that go off so that over time they're really building an inner structure. And the people who work with me will tell you that this is probably the best investment you can do of your life if you have a child who's stuck with these things. And you can reach me at www.reallifecoaching.ca. That's reallifecoaching.ca. You can also go to kenraybo.com. That's K-E-N-R-A-B, as in Bob, O-W.com. And I have a Facebook page which uh, has really cool stuff every day. Um, and that's uh, in Facebook. You just look for Real Life Coaching. And uh, that's me. So I want to thank you, Lon, for having me on. Well, and, thank, uh, thank you. you for listening. Oh, this has been very, very enlightening. Yeah, very good. And uh, uh, we're wrapping this up now. We ran out of time, but uh, we've been talking to Ken Rabo, How to Motivate Struggling Young Adults, a very interesting discussion. And uh, uh, this is Lon Woodbury with uh, Woodbury Reports. And be sure to come back next week at this same place where we'll have a, another, another uh, 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 discussion. And uh, let's see, the name of the discussion will be, oh, do your laundry or you'll die alone. You'll have to tune in to find out what that's all about. <laughs> I'll be there. I'll listen. 